So we had some questions as well. So uh, Mr. Inman was kind enough to provide us with some answers to our uh, Boolean questions. So one question we had was, let's say that you had a Boolean variable, my bool. So this is all from last class. And let's say you assigned my bool to be uh, 5, which would be bad because 5 is an integer. And it is true that in C++, anything besides 0 is interpreted to be true as far as a Boolean conversion is, goes. But the less you know that, the better. right? So you really should use true and false literals. And this is a good example of why. So um, so let's say we did this. If my bool is true, in fact, you can do that. Um, you could do, so you could ask the question, if my bool is, it contains a true value, or you can do this, equals equals true. Either one is fine. Right, they actually one is a simplification of the other. So we'll just do it, we'll leave it as, uh, as this. So if my bool, which means if my bool is true, then see out, let's say it's true. So with an executor dot. Who says yes? Yeah. Who says no? Good. Yeah, that's the right answer. Right. So this executes. Here's a trick question. So if my bool is equal to 5, and again, this is, I'll put this in, in comments here. It's true. Um, then see out, it's also true. So who thinks that one would execute? Who, does, who thinks it doesn't execute? So most people, you, you think both, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, it's, and Mr. Inman found out for us that it does not, in fact, execute. Uh, what happens here is that my bool, when you implicitly convert the five integer to a Boolean value, guess what gets stored in my bool? It's just one. Yeah. So even though five is interpreted to be true, um, my bool does not equal five because my bool at this point is just equal to one. So this is a very good reason why you should use the, tr the literals true and false. So you might get into like some, some wacky stuff. Nice. Okay, and there was one more um, question we had about variable scope in blocks. So suppose uh, we continue this code. Here. So let's say if my bool is true, then we'll declare a variable called 5, input from the user, 
shows in the board on Tuesday, I believe. Okay, so the question we had was, well, what if we declared variable 5 again here? Would that be a compiled time error? So can we have two variables of the same name? I guess it should be clear that you can't have this. So let's say this is the main, the main function. And in the same scope, notice my compound statement starts out here. And let's say it ends here. I'll say return 0 here. I can't do this. You can't declare another variable called libel so because it's in the same scope. So it's ambiguous, right? So the compilers know what, anytime you use libel, exactly which one you're talking about. Are you talking about this one declared here? Or are you talking about this one? So that's no good. You can't say this. For example, you can't have another, you can't make another variable of the same type of an existing variable uh, using a different type. So that's incorrect as well. So those are both compile time errors. So the question we had here, well, five here is scoped into this block, right, into this compound statement. So once this compound statement is finished, namely that C out insert five is finished executing, uh, five falls off the face of the planet. It's like it never existed as far as this statement is concerned. It's gone, right? Because the block ends. So we had a vote. I believe it was pretty much split. No, it was close. I think it was like eight and five or something like that. So eight said this was okay, and five said it wasn't. I think. I can't remember. Anyway, uh, so Mr. Min um, found out for us that this fact is okay. So um, this is okay. So it's not a compile time error. Does anyone know why? Or take a guess as why? Why that's uh, correct? Yeah, that's 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 a good way to put it. Um, there's one way I was thinking. I was one reason I was thinking of. It has something to do with um, the way the compiler is constructed. And this is not true for every programming language. For example, Java has something called a multi-pass compiler. It reads your program multiple times, up and down. So you can think of a compiler as being sort of like. Part of the compiler is a scanner, so it starts at the very top, then just reads the text of your program description. So continuing up here, it just reads it right, you know, from top to bottom. That's what G++ does. It's something called a single scan compiler. Um, it's very fast, very efficient. However, um, it won't be able to cache this because, as you just said, the scope of five uh, is relinquished at this end of this compound statement. So. So that five is okay. I think that makes sense. Anyway, yeah, it's okay. So you could do that. It's probably not the best idea to do that because it might be a little confusing. You may want, you know, you have an almost infinite amount of variable names you can use, at least down by your memory or on your hard drive. So um, you should use different names, but that, that's okay. So what's not okay, however, is declaring it before the if statement. So for example, if I said, um, let's say I wrote here, int 5. So I have a variable declared on, in the main scope, and then I also declare the same variable inside this, this block. So that does not compile. And why is that? <coughs> so why is the one, this one okay, and this one is not okay? Yes? Out of your answer, I'm curious, like, does it still have the initial 
Right. Yeah, that's just right. At this point, when you declare this variable, um, you have access to both. So it's ambiguous again. So basically, you get the same situation that you have here with, with these variable correlations. So even though uh, this five variable is declared outside the, um, in the main block, and you declare your inner variable within this inner block, it doesn't matter because you have access from this inner block to any variable scope on the outer block. Right? Remember, it's sort of like a hierarchical thing. So you can think of it as sort of as the parent block, and then this is like the child block, and the parent block inherits all variables declared in the parent block. The, the converse is not true. And this is what I did here. So this variable is scoped in the child block, and then um, you would have to redeclare in the parent block to get access to it. So for example, um, if I said this, CF. Five after this this block that would be a compound error because at that point at that statement right after the compound statement there is no scope of five five is gone. Any questions on that? Yes. For if you declare another variable. Oh um, no! You, so any reference to it would be would be invalid. So you can't you can't refer to it at all. You can, however, refer to the variable five here because you declared it. So it's sort of like what you're suggesting is that um, you know can you use a variable before it's declared? So that would be sort of like the analogous situation. So that would be like this. So the compiler can play at this point and say, hey, A is not declared anywhere. I have no idea what tech A is. So, yes? But if you declare A at the beginning, and then inside the if statement, you equated A with 5, would A carry a value to A? Wouldn't A would carry a value to A? Right, right. Yep, it lives on. In fact, you can declare these variables outside of any scope. Um, you can declare them, like for example, before me, and use them in me. Does anyone know what that's called? Global variable. And those are very bad. So uh, I like that joke around my students to say that if I ever see a global variable uh, in any of the homework assignments, that's automatic F or E, I guess that would be in Ohio State. Um, that's not true. I won't do that. But if you think I would, then if it motivates you not to use global variables, that's great. So when we get into writing uh, more than one function, It'll be very easy to have these global variables and sort of like refer to these global variables from multiple uh, functions or multiple scopes, and that's considered something called spaghetti code. So it's very hard to, to, to reason about your program and also change your program. And as it gets larger and larger and we get to more involved projects, it's going to be harder to change things and, and, and debug as well. So no global variables. So all the variables must be declared inside a scope. So there must be in a block. And for now, since we're dealing only with main, it has to be in the main function. Uh, however, you can declare something called constants um, that are global, and that, that's, that's fine, actually. So just the variable is the problem, because they change. So let me get into that real quick. So there's something called constants, or I should say name constants. Actually, we, have, we haven't gone over constants, right? We've used a constant right here. There are literal values from the type, right? For example, 5, true is a constant. You can't change a value of true to be something other than true. Um, what you can do, however, is make your own constants. 
And these are called mean constants, as opposed to the literal values. So why would you want to go ahead and make your own constant? Any ideas? What would be a useful constant to make? Yes? Uh, if you're going to be repeating like a rate throughout the program. Yeah. Right. So for example, so you may be using some kind of rate. So a particular rate may be used throughout It would be helpful if you could declare this constant once in one place and likewise refer to it multiple times. So let's say you have a tax rate for Ohio, which is 6.5. Is that right? Yeah, sound good. Um, Depends what, what county, right? It's so strange. Um, is there tax like on the clothes on everywhere in Ohio as well? Really? Because I'm from New Jersey, and I think the craziest thing is like besides not pumping your own gas is um, no tax on clothes. It's great. <laughs> Every time I go, I go, I go to like a clothing store, I'm like I always like double double take when I when I see tax on my receipt. But anyway, is that right? No kidding. All right. So for example, let's say you were making some kind of like POS application, i.e. point of sales, uh, and you had to uh, refer to a ta Ohio tax rate. And let's, let's just add up some and say that the tax rate in Ohio is the same in every county. Um, so you may want to declare a constant, like for example a double constant called tax rate, and assign that to be initially um, 6.5, and use that constant every place where uh, you need it in the program. So when the, ne the next governor decides to raise the tax rate in Ohio, hopefully that won't happen, you can just change it in one location. And everywhere you refer to that constant through its name um, sort of gets changed automatically. So the changes propagate automatically to the rest of your program. It's really useful. So that's one motivation for a name constant. Another motivation is um, like more readable. So for example, if you use 6.5 as, as a tax rate, and in every place in your program where you calculate a sale, uh, you use the number 6.5, well, 6.5 may be different things. So it could be a tax rate, it could be a circumference, it could be an error rate, I don't know, it's anything, right? It's just 6.5. So you can use multiple things in different contexts. So when you use a name constant, you sort of like self-document your own code. So instead of writing comments everywhere to say, hey, 6.5 is you know, multiplying by the tax rate, uh, it's clear from the, con from the context what you're doing because the name constant will, will presumably be named something like tax rate. Okay, um, there's one of the reasons you might want to use constants. Think about like a math operation. What's a very famous math constant? Pi, yeah. Um, so pi is a very long number, and it may be very convenient to use, like store the constant for pi, at least for the number of significant places that we can um, have in, in a particular double value. In a, like a, a like a sort of like an isolated place or a place that everyone knows about, like a library, for example. And every program that needs pi, maybe to do division or whatnot, depending on what you're doing, um, you can refer to it in the library. In fact, there is a library that does exactly just this, and it's called CMath. So 
mathematical constants um, are available to you already. And there are other constants as well. I think there's a constant called max integer that has like the maximum size for an integer, or the maximum value for an integer, rather. Anyway, math constants are probably the more um, predominantly used. So if you pound include a library called CMAP, and we'll talk about this later, in this library there is um, a constant, I believe, called m underscore pi, pi. Don't quote me, it should be in your book. Um, I'm pretty sure there's a constant called pi. Um, so you should be able to do something like this. M underscore pi, all in capitals. And that will, that will print out the value pi for at least the number of significant digits that we have, we have available to us for double values. I believe that's what it's called. I think the M stands for math. Anyway, this is what constants look like, or name constants look like. It, it's not required, but the convention is to have all of the letters in uppercase, and instead of using um, spaces, which you can't do with variable names, use underscore. So um, one thing you can't do with a constant is this. So that's a compile time error. Anyone know why? Yes. Uh, you can't change the values. Yeah, it's a constant. So that would be doing this, like something like this. So that would be compiled on error. Can't do that because seven is a constant. It's a literal value, right? The value of seven changes, does not change ever. You can't do something like this. That's a compiled on error. Even though it sort of makes sense. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it makes sense to reassign the value of 6 to be at 6 itself, uh, but you can't do it anyway. So this is why um, another reason I like to say assignment or is assigned to. So you read it as 7 is assigned 2 plus 3 as, as opposed to equals. Because obviously, you know, especially this one, right, is valid in that. So 6 definitely equals 3 plus 3. But 6 is assigned 3 plus 3 is not valid C plus plus, and 6 is a constant. So all these three are actually compile time errors, and all for the same reasons. So the left-hand side of the assignment operator are all constants. So you can make your own constants. So you get a bunch of constants in the math library that you may use. One is pi, or m underscore pi. If you want to make a tax rate constant, you can do so as follows. In fact, if you looked up the library, if you open up the library, um, the CMath library file, it's called a header file. We'll learn about that later. You'll probably see a declaration very similar to this for pi. So the keyword is const. And I forgot my color chalk today, so you have to, to live with the, uh, the monotone colors. So no keyword coloring, syntax highlighting on the board. So this is the keyword, or reserve word. Uh, and it precedes your constant declaration. So constants, just like variables, have types. So let's say we make this a double. And they have constant names, 
let's say tax rate, and by convention, again, they're all in capital letters. And all that really does is say, hey, this is a constant. You know, don't do something like this. So just to remind yourself. Or maybe if someone else coded it, then maybe it's to remind the user of the program. And then one thing with constants is that you need to assign them right away. So you must uh, declare and initialize a constant all at once. No put six. So it's declared and assigned all in the same statement, and then you never can reassign that value. And you can use it, you know, all over your program. In fact, you should. And then, you know, let's say the tax rate goes up or down in, in years, in future years, and you need to fix your program to deal with it. All you need to do is change it in this one place, and then all the other statements that use that constant are automatically updated. So it's a syntax. It looks very much like a, like a variable duck relation, except for the const keyword. Do you have a question? Question? Um, it depends how you, what your well, equations look like. Yeah. yeah. Depends what you multiply it by. Well, I wanted to make sure that you had the tax rate in this case. It's not something that the compiler knows. No, you would have to multiply uh, by 100. Feel better? Yeah. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> okay. Yeah, if your equations had to multi multiply, you're right. So if I said like tax percent. It could just be something that I kind of look over quickly and then wonder why. A little, a little high, huh? That would be a, a bad tax rate, I suppose. 6.5. 6 okay. All right, so this will be very important when we get to the arrays as well, which I hope to get to uh, by today. All right, any questions so far? All right, you have a homework assignment uh, that I posted on Carbon right before class. It's D1 Tuesday. It's something to do with uh, palindrome sequences. So we'll get to that before class breaks. And in the meantime, let's talk about loops because you'll need loops, and you're ne actually you will need arrays to do this homework assignment as well. are repetition statements. And they're very much like if statements and else statements in the fact that they, um, they influence the control of your program or the flow of control of your program. So for example, conditional statements um, conditionally execute a statement. Loop statements or repetition statements can't execute a statement multiple times, a single statement. So, a loop executes a single statement possibly multiple times without writing it out, you know, over and over and over. In fact, I have a very funny cartoon uh, that I usually post on the uh, Carbon website where it's a kid that 
I guess he's done something bad in class, and uh, he has to write, I'm bad, or, or I won't do that, whatever, like throw airplanes again 500 times on the board. So what he does instead is he writes a loop with like a C-out statement that says, I will not throw paper airplanes 500 times. I'll post it on a card after class. It's really funny. So and then the teacher's sitting there like, you know, smart. But, but no cigar. Okay. So it's execution of the statement, and I'll use this word quite a bit. Or each execution of the loop is another way people like to refer to it. It is called an iteration. So if a loop executes its statement five times, we say that loop uh, iterates for five times. So these words are analogous. So um, the way loops are constructed in C++ is that the statement statement executes, or the loop iterates, until a Boolean condition evaluates the false. So it sounds very much like what kind of statement? Starts in an I. We learned it last class. Ends with an F. <laughs> Just give it away? Yeah, it sounds like an if statement, right? Because an if statement is also associated with a Boolean condition. If the Boolean condition evaluates to true, then the statement is executed. With a loop, the, um, the loop iterates, so the statement is executed until that Boolean condition evaluates the false. So instead of doing it just once, like an if statement would do it, it does it over and over until that condition becomes false. And one thing to note that although um, the same statement is executed, so um, a looping construct of C++ is also similar to an if statement in that, uh, or even an else statement in that the very next statement is executed, or the, the sub-statement, right? The then portion of the if statement is executed. And that's only a single statement. So although the same statement um, executes upon each iteration of the loop, right? You can't have different kinds of statements. Um, the values of variables may change as the loop iterates. And in fact, the loop body could be like perhaps like um, if else chain, right? So different things can happen upon different iterations. And that always makes it really powerful. So this is actually what computers are really good at. They're good at doing the same thing over and over and over and over exactly the same way. But when I say exactly the same way, that caveat there is that there could be if statements. So yeah, it's the same way, but given these conditions. So that's probably the main reason we use computers in the first place. All right, so a looping condition, which is another name for the Boolean expression that's associated with a loop construct, The loop condition usually states some goal that the statement or the, the, the body of the loop, which is the like then portion of the statement for loops, um, is supposed to achieve. 
So you sort of design these looping conditions um, in a way that if that condition is ever turning to false or it evaluates to false, you're done. So your goal has been achieved. You can go home and have ice cream. So, so and if this has to be some goal that you have that can't be achieved in a single statement. So the looping condition or the Boolean expression that controls a loop sort of says, okay, this is when I'm done. If this ever evaluates to false, I'm done. And it's something that can't be done in, in one try. And we'll see that when you work with arrays because arrays uh, will have multiple variables associated with them. Uh, and you need, a lot of times you need to do the same thing to every value in the array. Um, you're not done until all those values are perhaps manipulated. All right, so look at, let's look at some examples of why you use a loop or how you use a loop. All right, so examples of using loops. So one very simple example that you can think of probably right now is doing something X amount of times. So that's your goal. So that's probably the simplest motivation. You have something to do, you need to do it X amount of times where X is some integer value. Um, and you use a loop to do so. Another thing a loop is good for is persistence. And by persistence, I mean persistent error checking. And I like to call this bugging the user of your program until you, you get what you want. So if you ask the user to enter a number between, I don't know, negative 5 and positive 5, and they give you 7, you can use a loop to keep on asking them for that same number. So hey, that's not what I wanted. That's not a valid input. Uh, give me a number between negative 5 and positive 5. This works well if your cat likes your keyboard and likes to walk in front of your keyboard as you're using a computer, and maybe the cat presses some buttons, and maybe you have big fingers and you hit the wrong key. So that's one, way, one thing you can do with a loop. Keep on asking until the end of eternity for what you want. Another motivation is something called stepwise progress. So these are things that can't be done in one step or are better off done in multiple steps. So it's sort of like breaking down a problem into multiple steps and then doing each one successively until the whole problem is, is uh, solved. I'll say performing. Um, a very famous example of this is um, the algorithm for GCD. Does anyone know what the algorithm is called that solves GCD, uh, i.e., the greatest common divisor? Such an E. Who knows um, math history? What's that? Um, I think that's right. Or is it the Euclidean? I keep on getting that, that mixed up. Hmm. Good question. Let's have it for extra credit. I think it's either Euclidean or Euler. Maybe it is Euler. 
so extra credit for Tuesday. What is the name of the algorithm, and I'll read that algo, that solves, and it's the same, this, the famous one. So the problem with GCD is that you have two numbers, and you are to find um, the greatest number that divides them evenly, both. So somebody, actually I can't remember off the top of my hand, I think we think it's Euler, uh, that came up with this GCD algorithm. What's that? I want to say, my first impression was Euclid. But that's the extra credit for Tuesday. So anyway, this algorithm is, is actually a very beautiful algorithm. Um, I have one of my teachers, my algorithm, my, yeah, my algorithms class in first year, he liked to refer to algorithms as poetry. So uh, anyway, it's a very beautiful algorithm that does like sort of like a stepwise obsession uh, where it solves like small individual subproblems repetitively until you get the answer. And hopefully we'll get to, um, to put that on the board. All right, there's two constructs that we'll be using in this class to, um, to perform loops. There are actually three I can think of. We'll only be using two of them. So looping constructs in C++. And in fact, there's a fourth way to do it without using a loop but achieving the same effect. And we'll get to that when we get to functions. It's called recurrent. But we'll talk about two today. Uh, not looping constructor. Constructs, sorry. Constructors are totally different things. So looping constructs in C++, there's uh, three kinds. There's something called a while loop. While is a keyword. There's something called a for loop. For is a keyword. And there's this wacky thing called do while loops, uh, which are useful. But you can achieve the same thing with a while loop. We won't be using this one. You can if you want. That's fine with me. In fact, I'm sure there is a, um, a section in the book about do while loops. And I'm sure in lecture notes there's also a section on do while loops. If you like them, go ahead. Uh, otherwise, you can just you can get away with just these two. In fact, you can get away with, with um, just one of them. So if you really like while loops and hate for loops, you can just use while loops. If you really love for loops and hate while loops, you can. Uh, just use for loops. However, you'll as you go along, you'll see that the choice is pragmatic. You get a sort of a feel when a for loop kind of like feels right to use, and when a while loop feels right to use. But it doesn't matter. You can do the same thing with both. They all all three of them loop, and there's even a fourth one, which is not called a loop, but it achieves the same effect. It's just called recursion. All right, so let's get into the syntax. Uh, we'll start with the while loop because it's—I th I really think it's the simplest loop to learn. Because it's sort of like manual. It's like a manual loop. It's—you um, have to do everything explicitly. So a for loop is sort of like a shortcut for a while loop. It's a shorthand for a particular kind of while loop. And students have loads of problems with for loops usually uh, with the control, like how control flows throughout the program. But I think while loops are pretty straightforward. And the reason is such that they are very similar to if statements. And they look a lot like if statements. 
So the keyword is while. And guess what? It's followed by an open close bread. So very much like an if statement. And guess what goes in there? Yeah, the Boolean expression. Right, the looping condition. So an arbitrary Boolean expression, it could be a Boolean variable, it could be a very long uh, Boolean expression, uh, a Boolean operation. Uh, it can be any kind of any kind of expression that evaluates the Boolean, it could be a excuse me, a comparison. Comparison operations, uh, all that stuff. Any any expression that evaluates the Boolean type. And the semantics are as follows. Um, oh, I'm not done with the syntax. Sorry. Maybe, maybe you're done with the syntax. I don't want to be much of a loop there. So underneath the while loop, followed, uh, preceded by a tab, you have the then statement. And again, it looks very much like an if statement. All right, semantics are as follows. So this says execute, execute then statement, and that's a single statement by the way. If you want to execute more than one statement, what can you use there? Starts with a C. Uh, yeah, curly brace. Uh, compound statement. Yeah, uh, or block. Yeah, but yeah, they have curly braces. So execute then statement until bool. The Boolean expression evaluates true false. So this is one, another good reason why we learn Boolean expressions. So they control uh, loops in C++. So execute then statement until a Boolean expression evaluates the false. Uh, you can replace then statement with a compound statement if you need to execute multiple statements per iteration of the loop. All right, let's take some examples. Let's do a count up example. So we do number one. So just simple counting. Um, do something X amount of times. All right. So let's do a counting example. Count up. So let's say you want your program to count one, two, three, four, five. One way to do that is as follows. So here's a CL statement that, that just prints one, two, three, four, five. Pretty tedious. So the output would be as follows. And you could have used the character um, for the digits if you wanted to. Output will be one, comma, two, comma, three, comma, four, comma, five. And then end line. One, two, three, four, five. Funny, that's the combination to my luggage. No space hall fans? Okay. Anyway, so there is a statement that counts 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Um, so what if I said, okay, go back and change that to 105? 
I want it 1,005. So that's sort of tedious, um, unless you really like VI and you love editing text, and you have loads of extra time, which I'm sure not many of us do. So we can do the same thing using a loop. We can write a single statement, or maybe a compound statement, um, and perform that a conditional amount of times depending on our, our looping condition. So it's common in situations to have something called a counter variable. Um, this is not a formal definition. Uh, it's something more like you know informal that I just sort of uh, use as a cognitive uh, <coughs> to refer to a particular variable. And I like to refer, refer to this particular variable as a counter variable. We'll call it um, it. It for iteration. So it counts the number of iterations a loop uh, incurs. And so this will be the counter variable. So this is just the variable that controls the number of iterations of a loop is to execute. It's not in the standard C++ specification or anything like that. All right, so I'm going to start IT to be at zero. So initially, the way you read this is that, well, the loop hasn't executed yet, so there have been zero iterations. All right, so let's say I want to um, count to five, and five is sort of a magic number in that we don't know what five actually is um, just by looking at it. So five can be the number of apples we have. It could be the number of students in this class. It could be the number of A's that are received at the end of the quarter. Uh, it could be the number of times we want to output uh, numbers. So for that, we'll use a constant. Um, I'll name it times. So let's say we want to execute this loop five times. So I'll use a constant name time so that um, our statements are self-documenting. And if I need to change it to 105, all I need to do is change it one place. So maybe I have multiple loops after this, right? OK, so I have a counter variable. And let's call this my threshold. And in this context, it's a constant. So when you use numbers just arbitrarily, just like, for example, we just use five without the constant, this is something called magic numbers. I'll post a Carbon News article about that. It's pretty interesting. I think it's a Wikipedia article. So anyway, they're called magic numbers because you don't really know what they refer to. So here I'm saying that five is actually the number of times a loop will execute. All right, now we can start the loop. So the first thing you do is enter the keyword while, followed by open and close parenthesis, and embed in those is your Boolean condition. So does anyone want to give me the Boolean condition for this loop? So if I want to execute the body of this loop or the then portion of this loop um, times amount of times, how would I go about writing my Boolean condition? Yes? Uh, I think less than or equal to 5. Yeah, this one we do. So one problem I see here, however, is that now if I said, okay, I want this to execute 105 times, right? And now I go back and change my constant. How many times am I loop execute? Still, five times. So what do you want to use in place of the in place of the five? Awesome, that's excellent motivation to use name constant. Great. So yeah, so one thing to note that, and especially in the homework, um, I'm going to require that you guys use name constant. Use it throughout your program. So once you make it, make use of it, right? 
everywhere that you need that number, use the name constant instead, unless it's for a different context, which you should have another name constant for. All right. So it is less than or equal to times. While that's true, see at what? Any guesses? Yes. It. Yeah. It. Sure. That's it. Commas. When you find support bending, put a comma there, right? And at the end of the whole thing, we want to end up. Yes? Don't you want to change the value of regeneration? Yeah, that would be good. Um, so what's our output? So our goal is to get this output here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, right? So what would the output be here? Zero. Let's see. So the uh, good way to go about um, deciding what, how a loop behaves or what's the output of a loop or what goes on in a loop body is to do it diagrammatically. So we'll sort of like symbolize memory on the chalkboard here. So let's say this is memory. And we have some constants and variables. So for we have an IT. So it's in memory, there's space for uh, bytes exactly. For IT, of course, there's space for the constant as well, which is going to be four bytes as well. Four times. That's not going to change. We'll just stick a five in there. OK, the initial value at this point, so you can sort of like go through your program, like sort of like a control flow or a program counter simulation. So the initial value of IT is what at this point? So your program is executing, right? Line by line by line by line. Or here. IT is equal to what? Zero? Something, yeah, garbage. Yeah, it's not zero. It's garbage. It could be zero, but it's something random value. Or it may not be a value at all. It could just be something that it can't be, the computer can't interpret. All right, at this point, it's zero. So this is going to be step one. Uh, let's say step two. So at one, it's garbage. At step two, it's going to be zero. All right, and then um, let's keep on going here. So I'm not going to ignore the name constant since that's not going to change. All right, so here we have a while statement that says, well, the zero is zero less than equal to five. And the answer to that is true. So we'll print out it whose value is zero. And then we'll also print a comma. OK, the control reaches back up to the loop, right? Because we need to check again, because the then portion of the statement is executed until this Boolean condition returns false, or evaluates the false. So it is still 0. Is 0 less than or equal to 5? Yes, it is. We're not 0. OK, is 0 less than or equal to 5? Yes, it is. We're not 0 and a comma. This goes on and on and on until when? Until you press Control c which is the key on the terminate program in Unix. So yeah, this is something called an infinite loop. It never ends. So that's something that you may encounter as you're writing your programs, or even the homework that will be posted uh, after class. Um, yeah.
So this is bad. So one thing we need to do here is actually change the value by t. So it needs to actually count how many times it's iterating. To do that, we can use a compound statement. And we can say it is assigned it plus 1. So at every point of the execution of this loop, it increments the value of it by 1. I'm going to make my t a little uh, cursive here just to distinguish between the plus sign. So now the output will be what? So we start at 0. 0 is less than or equal to 5, right? Output 0, comma. Increment. So this will be step, let's say, 3. Increment it. It becomes 1. So the way you read the statement is that take the current value of it, which is 0, add 1 to it, store the, the result of that expression into the variable again. So you sort of overwrite the variable. And we call this increment incrementation. So we increment uh, it by 1, store that in the variable. 1 is less than or equal to times. Output 1 in the comma. Increment it again. That becomes 2. OK, print out the value of it. That becomes 3. Print out the value. That becomes 4. And I'll just carry on there. All right, so it is 4, um, and we check the condition again. 4 is less than or equal to times, which is 5. Is 4 less than or equal to 5? Yes, it is. Uh, I already did that one. Uh, never mind. So let's say it's 5. So we output 4. At that point, it um, at the next statement is 5. So the question is, uh, is 5 less than or equal to 5? Yes. So we output 5, increment 5 to 6, uh, it to 6. And finally, 6 is not equal to um, 5, so we output it n1. And that's the end of the program. All right, so my question to you guys is, well, does this output look like this one? Oh, by the way, I'm, I need one more other thing here. So are the, outputs, are the output values the same? No. So we got 0, comma 1, comma 2, comma 3, comma 4, comma 5, comma. We want 1, comma 2, comma 3, comma 4, comma 5. So what happened? Where do we start IT? Yes? You could start at 1. You could start at 1, yeah. Um, that sort of breaks my invariant that it is the number of iterations. Um, yeah, you could, you could um, start at 1. But the way I declared it and what I said informally to you guys was that it counts the number of iterations. So I could, what I could do equivalently is as follows, at least in this context. I can say it plus 1. Followed by a comma. Right, so it's going to print, um, now it's going to print, instead of this, it's going to print this. So just move the number one. Um, so let's do this. What if I change less than or equal to less than? 
What would I get? Yeah, so it ends in five column, right? Yeah, uh, so I still have that comma at the end there. So how do I fix that? Yes? Uh, you can use an if statement to control when you print the comma. Right, good. So what we can do is change, let's say we change this. Blue body. Let's do a little cut and paste here. So let's do this. Let's output the value of it. It plus one. And let's end it there. And we'll use an if statement to conditionally control the output of the comma. So we want to only output the uh, the comma when it's not the last iteration. So if it's an intermediate iteration, we output the comma. Otherwise, uh, we don't. So how do I write that in my if statement here? So I want to say, not the last iteration. What's this? I'll just move this down. Bull. Last it. And initially, that's going to be uh, well something. Well, sign that something. And then I was going to say if not last it, then cf comma, which is a single character. All right. So the question is, how do we get um, last it? What do we assign to that? Does it make sense to everyone so far? So it says, if it's not the last iteration, then output a comma. Otherwise, don't output anything. So what do I assign to that Boolean there variable? How do I know when it's the last iteration? So Boolean last it is, is assigned the value it equals times minus 1. So let's see. If it was 5, right, because 5, so we're having, we're having 5, the fifth iteration is the last one, right? So does 5 equal 4? No. But it should be true, right? So if it is 5, we want it to be um, last it to be true. So why do I change this one? Any guesses? Yes? Yep. It will. Right? So the loop executes, right? Let's say in the last iteration, it is 4. 4 is less than 5. That's true. Output 4. Actually, output 5, right? So 4 plus 5. And then increment it to, by 1, at which this point it will be 5. Right? So at this point, it will be 5. 
So equivalently, when we're, using, we're writing our new code here, we output it plus 1. So this would be 5 in this, the last iteration. Where are you incrementing it? I was getting there. Okay. Well, I just thought it, okay. it seemed like you wanted to increment it before you made that boolean variable. Oh, right, right. We could do that here, actually. Yeah, good point. I know that's what you're trying to do. Yeah, let's do that here. Are you? Yeah, all right, we'll do that. So see ya, um, it plus one here, and then increment here. Yeah, the order where you, what you do when you do this matters. It is a sign, it plus one. Okay, that makes sense now. All right, so you output five here, right? When, when let's say, um, it is equal to four. So you get five here. Then you increment it by one. That, that gets you five. To, you put in the value of it. And you could have wrote this differently. Yeah, I guess you could have wrote it this way as well. You move that down here. Um, so if it is four... So actually, if you write this below there, I think it's right, right? So if I say it is assigned it plus 1 here, I think that's right. So now I, it would be 4, right? Yeah, so I think that was right anyway. So now the, the comma is, is gone. So we only output the comma when last it is true, and last it is true when it here is 4. So you can play with this if you want. Does that make sense? Question? Yeah? Alright, so that's a very convoluted example. <laughs> so anyway, the point here to take home is that if I made this 105, uh, does this code still work? Does it print out 1, 205? It does, yeah. In fact, even this, even this condition is still worse. It's because we wrote it in terms of the, of the constant. So that's much better in that code. Any questions on, on the while loop? Uh, I don't think we'll have time to go over arrays, actually. Trying to think of this homework. Um, which other homework assignment that include that have loops and not arrays? Uh, should we do arrays real quick? Are you guys feeling frisky this weekend? Do you want to give give it a little shot to work with loops and arrays? See how it goes. All right, let's do it. Let's go over arrays really quickly. Very brief introduction to arrays. Just so you guys can do the homework. So the homework's gonna have it's gonna involve um, loops and arrays. And maybe I'll make the homework due on Thursday instead of Tuesday. I think I might do that. So we'll start over the weekend and it'll be due Thursday. Alright, so arrays. So ways in C to declare. And I'll abbreviate that DECL. Uh, multiple variables. Programmatically. And I'll go over this again on, on Tuesday. 
but just so you get start uh, started on your homework. Each variable is distinguished by an index. which is a integer. So index is um, a way to uh, distinguish between um, which variable you're talking about. So when, we're, when we've declared like something called scalar variables, which are the variables that we've, we've done so far, like for example, it here. Um, that's something called a scalar variable. It's only one value, only one variable, rather. And the way you refer to it is just through its variable name. Um, however, if we want to store, let's say, um, times number, we want to make times number of variables, uh, we couldn't do that, right? Um, well, actually, we could because times is a constant. Um, but let's say we wanted like some variable amount of variables. So let's say we have like we're like we have an array that's to store like the grades for everyone in our class, maybe like. Students are dropping and adding the course. So the number of students in your course changes. And you want a variable uh, denoting the grade of each student so far in the class. So it's, you have a variable number of variables. So arrays are a way to programmatically declare a variable number of variables. And it's re you refer to these variables, or like the set of variables, and it's an ordered set, or a sequence of variables, um, using an index. So you, there's, there's only one variable name but you distinguish between each variable using the index value. And it's sort of like its own type. It's sort of like a meta type. So an array is like a, a variable, a type of other types. So you can have an array of integers, you can have an array of doubles, and all that means is that each variable in the array or each value or entry point in the array is of that type. What you can't do is have an array of a mixed type. So you can't say like, okay, half my array is integers, the other half is characters. So it has to all be the same type. So the syntax is as follows. Uh, you have the variable type with the array type here. Just like int, double, char, bool, the ones we've seen so far. Uh, followed by the variable name. So, so far it's the same. So for example, let's say you have integer. It. Right, so that's so far it's the same. So my type here is integer, and my variable name is called it. The difference of the arrays is that you need to give it a size specifier. So this says how many spaces are available in your array, or programmatically how many variables you want. You think that way. The way you do so is using an open and closed bracket like so, and these are brackets, not less than signs or greater than signs. Um, not curly braces. So these are bra brackets. And then here goes an arbitrary integer expression. Um, actually, no, it should be a constant, sorry. That's important. It should be a constant int expression. Constant here is, is not a keyword here. So you can use a literal, you can use a name constant, um, and that's it. These are called static arrays, and we'll get to uh, dynamic arrays in which you can use variables there. But um, so right now, that's going to be like a maximum size. So here is going to be the maximum 
number of entries, and by entries I mean like variables in the array, of the array. So like here you have a scalar type, IT. Uh, it's just, if you look at memory, it's just going to be one space, right? Four bytes for one variable. And then uh, an array would be a non-scalar type. So you'd have multiple spaces, depending on what you put in for your uh, size modifier. Or size, uh, this should be size specifier. So how big is the array? If you look at memory, you look something like this. So you have four bytes for IT by itself. And that holds only one value. And let's say I wanted to make an array. So I'll call it my ARR. And right now, it's the same syntax, right? It's a variable. The only difference is that we say how many we want, how many entries, and let's say times. So I'll use an integer constant here. Note that this can't be a variable. Cannot reference a variable here. So it must be a constant value, either a literal or a name constant. I prefer that you use name constants because they're a lot easier to read. Okay. So the way this one looks in memory is as follows. And my scale is going to be off. So there's space for my ARR, and now there's going to be three, four, yeah. Oh, man. Let me make this more down to size here. There we go. All right, so here's one integer. Now you have one, two, three, four integers. And you index these. And arrays always start at zero. So the first entry in the array starts at, is it my array sub zero? And the way you write that is as follows. So it's going to be my AR sub zero. So you reuse the um, brackets again. So in one context, the bracket specifies the size of the array or the maximum size of the array. In the other context, the brackets are used to uh, refer to a particular element of the array. So let's say I want to assign my AR sub zero as the first element to be the value five. So in memory, I have five in here now. Uh, conversely, I could have assigned IT to be six. And now you have six. So, so far it's the same. But what you can do with my AR um, is also assign the second entry. And so on. Until the maximum size. So so the second entry is going to be index 1, and then you can sign that to be 6. So now 6 goes. And you can do this up until the last entry. The last entry of an array is always at size minus 1. In this case, it will be what? In terms of the constant? Times minus 1, right? Because I declared it to be all the maximum of times entries. And oh, by the way, these are all garbage values. Initially, just like all the other variables are all initially garbage. Um, so the last entry in the array is always at size minus one. And let's see what else. And once you use these, um, they're also they're called like sublimation or sub. 
Yeah, sublocation or bracket operators. You sort of like, once you use these bracket operators, you can do whatever you can do to a normal variable, you can do to that entry in the array. So you must use the bracket operators to refer to a particular entry in the array. So for example, you can output its value. So you can say my AR sub zero, you can output that to the screen if you want. You can assign the third entry in the array, which will be index what? Two, yeah, good. Index two to be the sum of index zero plus seven. You can also use a variable. <laughs> Can say my it uh, excuse me my arr sub i is sign eight. So what happens here? All right. So my first question is, does this compile? Who says yes? Who says no? Oh man, you guys are really putting a lot in the compiler, huh? Yeah, the compiler's not smart enough to figure this out. It will compile. What's that? Oh, I'm sorry. It should be IT. Oh, yeah. It won't compile. All right. Now will it compile? Yes. It will compile, but what will happen when you run the program? <laughs> crash. Why is this going to crash your program? Yes. Yeah, out of range. Um, this is also called overflow. So you're referring to an element that does not exist. So that's out in space here. So, but you can't use a variable to do that. So be careful with the with the bounds. All right. So for the homework, um, go home, review it. I'll change the date to Thursday since we ran over a little bit today. And you can get started on it. Otherwise, let's just do Thursday. And um, read up about arrays and reading posted. If you have any questions since we've um, ran out of time, just you can come see me after class. Thank <laughs> you.